Hey everybody, welcome to the Fight or Die Podcast. This is your host, Adam Howarth, joined by co-hosts Karen Blakely, Will Atkinson, and Nick O'Neill. We are on episode zero. Why are we doing this podcast here? So, we're here <laughs> because uh, we want to create like a community to get veterans to come on, tell their stories, bond over all of the bullshit that we went through and all the fun times we went through. Um and find a way to get people to come together. We need that space, right, where we can all have like-minded individuals with a, a common understanding of, like you said, the bullshit that we went through, but also just the forum that we can share it with someone that understands or you know has at least a little baseline of what we went through. Yeah, thinking back to like uh, you know Vietnam era, anytime I talk to somebody and they tell about or circle want to talk about the Vietnam experience, it seems like they hold back a bit. And I don't know if that has to do with just how they were received. You know, came off the boat in San Francisco and basically you were told to go burn all your shit in a barrel and get out of town as fast as you can and, like, don't ever talk about it. Yeah. And so, like, you know, we already have generations of veterans that aren't wanting to talk. But I know for me, like, any of the times I've gotten, you know, since getting out of the military in 2006 and deployment to Iraq and all that is, like, the more I talk about it, the better it gets for me. And so I'm hoping, like, that's what we can pull off here is that, you know, they get in the room with us, they enjoy talking to us, they feel comfortable, and we can get these stories told for the veteran, for the families, for everybody else that's involved. And I think as a veteran community, we heal together. Yeah, and like well, bridge, bridge some like generational gaps. Cause I, I feel like the veterans that I've talked to from like, especially the Vietnam era, like I feel like there's a lot of interest there to understand what it was like in Iraq and stuff like that. But I feel like there's a hesitancy to share because you don't, you know, you don't ever want to like project your experience onto someone else's experience. You want to be able to take their experience as it is. I mean, I just, I think that uh, the veteran identity and sort of how each individual interacts with that piece of their lived experience and how it becomes a part of their personality or how they express it, like there's going to be a huge variation there. And, you know, there is no one right answer. So, um, you know, I, I hesitate to, to generalize about like any number of deployments. I think that each one is probably, you know, a, a unique series of experiences. And, um, I just think that like as a community, just beyond, again, beyond the veteran population is like the more sharing that we do and the more we understand those sorts of like things on the edges, the better humans we be and the more robust and resilient the community becomes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that like the disconnect is something we're all probably interested in ending. You know, I think that we've learned that connecting, get around other people, like it, it works. And so how can we, how can we do that? How can we pull that off? You know, the, one of the questions maybe we'll throw around, give everybody a chance to give a go is like, you know, when I, when I kind of was starting to reach out about this particular project and as we're looking at the name of fight or die and things like that, like what, what about this project got you interested in saying, Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll look at this. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Like, you know, each person for you, what, what brought you to the table for Fight or Die? I think I just like talking to people. I like talking to people and hearing their stories because you you never know, like, what someone went through or what they survived through. or like You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's so much bonding that can happen just by opening up and sharing those things. And I usually find something fascinating about, like, every person that I have a decent conversation with. So it's always fun for me to find what that thing is with each person yeah totally what kind of makes people's experiences unique what yep. 
know, characteristics about you, what are, you know, what imperfections even make you make, yeah, for sure. The stories are all around us, and we don't have that forum anymore. Oral history used to be how we kept traditions going and how we kept the way of living on, right? And we've just become isolated, and we aren't, we don't have that community anymore. We don't have that connection anymore. So for me, creating one avenue where we can bring that back and give an opportunity to share with each other on a more personal level, just our own experiences and maybe building someone else's walk in life through shared experience. That's what got me excited about this project. I feel like, um, you know, I'm reminded of a, a saying, a quote I heard. I don't want to misattribute it, but uh, there's something along the lines of like, one of the best ways to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Mm, yeah. So fight or die, like this is part of this is what part of the daily mix that like keeps me out of trouble and moving in a positive, <laughs> you know, positive direction. Like I was on a streak of you People know, have no idea this is our therapy. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's true though. <laughs> Under yeah, like, the guise of helping others, yeah, this, right. this is what we need. There's right? a little so, so, yeah, selfish component there, but how about you? Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, it's so I, I've got a neighbor and. Uh, his neighbor, his dad was a Vietnam vet who unfortunately about 10 years ago passed away from complications of Agent Orange. And uh, I kind of asked him, I was like, hey, did your dad ever really talk about it? You know, do you ever share any of that stuff to you? And he's like, no, man, he didn't. And all I could see in his eyes was just kind of like, uh, you know, he, he had good memories of his father, but he didn't have those memories of his father. And, you know, when I think of my experience in the military is, is one of the most intense times of my life is, you know, I wouldn't still be talking about it 15 years later if it wasn't so personal for me. And, and kind of seeing that, I, was, I, I never sure, I didn't know what to say to the guy, uh, you know. Um, jokingly, I wanted to be like, well, you know, F your dad for not telling those stories. But at the same time, it's like, you know, his dad's got a good reason for not opening up around his kids and his family. And he didn't want to, he didn't want them to see see him for something he wasn't, you know. And maybe they start to see their dad as a monster. He didn't want to see that. So, like, mm-hmm. I think one of the things is, like, if people can watch us all sit down and talk about it so openly, realize that. You know, we're people that had experiences and those experiences don't define us forever and that, that deep back down, we're still good people. And and I think that I hope for that, you know, so that's that's what drew me to this whole thing is like, how do we how do we give an avenue for people to tell their stories? The, the, the two big projects that I'm aware of that's happening, you mentioned oral history, is that, you know, we're fortunate enough in Madison, Wisconsin to have a veterans museum. And one of the things they do and do well is the oral history project. But those stories mm-hmm. go get locked away somewhere. And then, you know, the, the Veterans Administration Hospital has a project they piloted recently, and it's kind of growing. It's called My Life, My Story. And again, these are awesome stories. They're talking to veterans, engaging them. It's been shown to help, you know, give them better health care. But where do those stories go? Locked away in their medical records. So, like, how can we bring this stuff to the public? How can we create stuff that's going to be there generations away, you know? if I, I can imagine if I had a father that died in Vietnam, uh, like Agent Orange exposure or anything like that how great would it be just to pull something up and hear his voice Oh yeah, for him to talk about. And I think, you know, that's where maybe like when we talk about the format of what we're trying to pull off is that, that I've had a lot of people ask me, they're like, Hey, in the podcast, what's your format going to be? And, you know, we've discussed it a little bit before we turn the mics on today. And like, I want to hear about people before they joined. I want to hear about people once they were in and I want to hear you are afterwards. Like, who are you in life afterwards? Like those are big transition points. We know that as veterans that, transitioning in and back out of the military are, are risky spots or can be tough times. And so like, I want to hear people's evolution over time and like, you know, tell me your story. I want to hear the whole thing. There's so much that I feel like we're leaving out at this early point. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, you know, 
thoughts going through my head right now are like, man, a lot of people did a lot of cool stuff during their military service. Uh, and for a lot of people, it was at like a super formative time in their life. Oh, yeah. Um, so it doesn't, I mean, we don't have to pathologize storytelling. You know, it doesn't have to be this big, like cathartic process. It can just be uh, sharing stories, sharing, you know, yeah. it can be, it can be way more positive and, and uplifting and it doesn't have to be um like i said like some kind of curative thing but i think that storytelling and and being able to communicate like that i think those are valuable and perishable skills and you know using the example of of a vietnam era vet who passed away like leaving a family behind like if they didn't have those skills how how would they have imparted those experiences you know what i mean like regardless of you know their their desires if, if nobody taught them how or nobody like set that example i think that's a pretty pretty big ask for anybody you yeah. know and so um, even us being able to like uh lead the way in the sense as far as like we're here we're telling our stories too i agree join us yeah i agree and i think that like all these things contribute to a, a an institutional memory that's kind of like lacking in big swaths of the you know big swaths of american society i know nick like we talked in the in the past uh before you moved to texas um yeah you guys um you know kind of that's one of the things i heard about you guys not to not to cut you off but like you guys were already kind of about ready to do this anyways right like were you guys doing a project with some like campfire stories and things like that and it was already like like you guys have already been in the storytelling sphere for a little while now like feel free to embellish on that or yeah no i i I'd love what to. What happened was. Yeah, I totally like. <laughs> what had happened was, start, yeah. I wanted to start a project where I was just going to record people's reactions of, you know, why they joined RWB, that organization, and what kept them coming back. And I had no idea what I was getting into. And so Will was like one of the first people I interviewed. And it turned into like a four hour session <laughs> of Will just opening up and she, like just letting out everything that had been in there. And, you know, out of that though, I got one of my best friendships. I mean, that connection that we developed, I thought I was way over my head. Like I, I thought like I wasn't prepared for this. My video recorder went off like an hour ago and he's still going <laughs> like, um, but we, we had an outlet and then that made the connection. I don't, I think that was kind of where we started. Yeah, I think you, uh... <laughs> So we met through Team Red, White, and Blue, of course, and we were both volunteer leaders for the Madison chapter here. And you went to storytelling camp and came back with, you know, this idea. Like, Wait, hey, story- yeah. is this like band camp or what kind of camp is this? So, yeah, yeah. so Team RWB, uh, they had a couple different, at the time, programming models. And their big thing is the chapter and community program, which is pretty cool. Uh, volunteer leaders just populate, like, an event calendar for a, a chapter based in, like, a city, you know, uh, and the missions to enrich the lives of America's veterans by connecting them to their communities through physical activity, uh, social interaction and community service. So Nick, uh, so that's the chapter and community program there. They have this Eagle leader development program too, where they would send folks to various different types of camps to bring their skills up. So they would go back to the chapters and sort of like bring those things to those groups. And when, when Nick went and did that, he came back and had like seven or 10 little questions to like feed into people to get them to open up. And I'm like, just wanted to let him know that 
you know. It worked. You opened up. <laughs> well, I, tell me about camp. That's what I'm asking. Like, tell me about band camp, man. All they think was that man. movie it's back in the day. It's all smoke and mirrors, right? All these veteran engagement things, smoke and mirrors. We say it's about stories, but it's all about building community. So we went through this thing. I had no idea what I was getting into. And by the end of it, man, we were all like crying. We were holding hands. We were hugging. But it's all because we learned how to open up and share a story. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a guy that had his master's in storytelling he went to school on how to develop stories and he just coached us through it it was awesome and it was probably one of the most pure experiences i've had with a group of people that i'd never met and i love that you talk about opening up and um you know i stumbled across this story there was a this woman's got like her doctorate in social work and she went down to fort bragg and was kind of doing some like leadership development kind of in her niche of getting people to open up and one of the questions she asked to one of the, the uh, special forces groups there at Bragg is she asked the idea of like, is it possible to be brave without being vulnerable and got mm-hmm. silence from the room, you know, and we know the selection process to go into recruiting the, the, the folks that go into those uh, top tier units. And, and she kept pushing the press and she would ask the question, can you, can you get there without being vulnerable? And ultimately you can't, you can't be brave unless you want to be vulnerable. And for, so you know, we go through our lives, we reintegrate, we get out, and we, we stop opening up. And fortunately, these storytelling things exist to kind of coach back into us the value in opening up a bit. And that if we want to get the results we get, if we really want to be courageous and brave and all those things that, like, we do enjoy, you know, as, as veterans and, and, and military members, is like, we got to, you got to expose yourself. You got to open yourself up. You've got to talk. You got to share with no limits, you know, all in. And so, Nick, I'd be curious, like, in that storytelling camp, you know, like, it sounds like people really opened up. Yeah, I mean, it took some coaching, right? Um, we all showed up with our own walls and barriers, and um, there was a lot of effort to try to build trust first. And I think that's probably something we're going to see with this podcast is is finding a way to let people let those walls down. Right. So what they I do think, at the camp? What were some of the things that they did to help break some of those walls down? Like, how, uh, how do they open yeah, people so up and don't want to open up? We did, we did the goofy stuff first, you know, like everybody make a human knot, untie yourselves, right? <laughs> then we did some, they called it Zen Archery. That was pretty cool. Um, they, they did this class on like focusing all your energy and just putting the arrow into a single point. Um, so Archery and Zen Archery sound pretty similar. What? It's like archery and zen archery. They're like, I think think the emphasis is putting your energy into the the task at hand, right? Again, it's not about the archery. It's about focusing your energy. Like a pretty imaginative imaginative experience, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Especially, like, who really knows what story camp is? Like, nobody knew what they were getting into. Storytelling camp. That's... That's that's new. That's not something you go into knowing what you're getting into. So you went and you had this experience and and you know held hands and sang kumbaya, right? And then came back with like half a dozen like, hey, where were you born? Where are you from? What was your MOS? And I was just like, bro, you're like orders of magnitude undershooting what's gonna happen. And I dumped it on you. <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is like. Like, I'm grateful for our friendship. I'm glad we've been able to, like, keep in touch. But, uh, like, these things are ongoing. You know, it's not, like, I've re- Adam, I know, you know, in, in some of your work, you have a lot of relationships where you have to be 
probably cognizant of, of the energy level and the emotions and stuff that are going on uh, back and forth there. But it's just uh, one thing that has impressed me since I sort of got involved with doing work for the veteran community is is just these relationships are ongoing, are ongoing. These conversations just keep on keeping on and reintegration. Like for a lot of people, I think it's going to be a lifelong process. For you sure. Know? One thing we keep talking about, uh, like Vietnam era vets and other previous eras, like one thing that's been on my mind lately is like how different the experience must be between a volunteer and a conscriptee and how that's how that is just going to get lost, too. So maybe a lot, you know, anybody feel free to take the liberty to elaborate a bit on the contrast and the difference there for any any of our non-veteran folks that are probably listening, like. You know, the volunteer conscripty like let's let's build that out a bit you know the draft i suppose is kind of sure. what you're alluding to yeah absolutely um i think moral distress is probably a a big contributing factor between those two groups right yeah well the, i think a lot of people difference in self-directed lifestyle yeah. versus some external force being like yeah. hey guess what you're up yeah and what's uh what is that i mean i hope i'm not insulting anybody's intelligence here but like for those that might not know uh conscription or the draft is when the government just decides that you're a soldier or you know a sailor or whichever uh but you're you're impressed and compelled into military service whereas since 1978 or so um the united states armed forces has been all volunteer so a professional volunteer force so just imagine you know you're a you're a young person um and you're trying to make decisions about the course of your life and the career you're going to pursue. Uh, and you get a letter in the mail and it says you're, you need to report, you know, you're going to, you're going to start training as probably like a combat arms type, uh, trooper, as opposed to the, you know, that same person who's weighing their options and, and consciously decides to serve their country. And I can imagine like when you think of the, the, uh, conscripties or draftees or whatever, how you want to do it is like, uh, you know, you might have played high school football with, with all your buddies and whatnot, and then you all get letters because you're born in the same year, and you all get these different numbers assigned to you, and, like, looking left and looking right at where do you fit in the totem pole? Are you going to go to Harvard? Are you going to go to state school? Or are you going to wait till your number's called? You know, yeah. Like, what kind of options do you have to do this? And, you know, I'm hoping we can get to explore that with some folks to, like, you know, if we get some uh, some folks to come on a podcast like that, that were drafted, yeah. dude, what was that like? Like, I can't imagine. I walked can't into imagine. I walked into recruiter's office of my own volition. I was like, "Hey, nine eleven just happened." Like, like, kick me out. My guilt is overcoming me. You know, it's, I finished high school in two thousand one, and I was just like, I was working my ass off, doing a bunch of jobs. It was probably fine, but then nine eleven happened, and I just remember every day watching the news and like the dread that came over me. That was like, it's your year, man. It's, you guys, your number got called. Yeah, you're 18. This is what you do. Like, we need you now. And like, could we predicted that we'd be 20 years more now? But at the time, it was just like I kept thinking about them day to day. And then finally, three months later, I walked in the recruiter's office and I'm like, I, I, I don't know why I'm here, but I got to do it. And so we put the plan together. Three months yeah. later, I shipped to basic. But like, what's the difference between me walking in on my own volition versus just being your number being called? Right. You know, I heard you story. had like control. You had like totally. you made a decision. Whereas if you were drafted, all your control was taken away. Your choice was taken away. Like you're just forced into something. So I could definitely, and think too, like if you were like adamantly opposed right. to the war itself and then you're just being forced to go there, I can't imagine 
how you sort out those emotions Dude, and like Uncle Sam you... didn't care. Uncle Sam yeah, was like, no, hey, it's just going, take man. your ass over there. Well, I, just, I mean, everybody wants to joke and laugh and make memes about it, but after that Iranian general was assassinated, General Suleimani, like Gen Z is like, oh, we're gonna get drafted. I'm like, y'all, you know, knock on wood, because you right. think it's it's like yep. you think that's over. You think people have just done away, like we moved on humanity. It's just moved on from the draft. No, that happens regularly in places that aren't the united states and it could happen here and then what you know i think that i think that a lot of people have just wildly divergent ideas about why people join the service in the first place um and i'd be interested to learn more about that you know let's take a turn on that like i shared a little bit about my motivation you know it just so happened i finished high school no one joined the military i think i walked to the recruiter's office in january and left a basic in march for 2002 so like that was my motivation. I initially even wanted to be a firefighter, but like I made it all the way through the recruiter's office. That dude told me there was no, you know, he's like, yeah, that's realistic. You'll be a firefighter. And then I get to maps in Chicago and the guy that once I got through all the stuff and I sat down with the career counselor, he's Wait, like, your he's recruiter like, lied. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one. <laughs> and so then I sat down with that career counselor that was, uh, that maps and he's just like, no, we don't do that anymore. We hired that out to civilians. And I'm like, it's, it's like 9-11, man. You gotta let me be a firefighter. <laughs> like, You're like, back of the line, you. <laughs> and, and so no shit there I was. Yeah, yeah. And, so there, and like the guy, like, at that point he was like, all right, I got this guy, right? And so he's like, he offered me, he's like, there's this profession called 11 Bravo. Nice. I can get you airborne contract, on uh, airborne en route to Italy. Jumping. And I'm like, all right, hold on, dude. We're about to go to war here. Let's calm down. <laughs> And my long-term plan was to see that. So I was like, hey, do you have a book of jobs or anything like that? <laughs> nice. And so I opened up a career guy. I'm like, that I can this, you can see this guy. He's an E7 at the time, uh, Sergeant First Class. And he was like, who's this, who's this fucker who has the audacity to ask me if I have like, a book of jobs? You don't ask like, me questions. I recruit you. <laughs> I was ignorant. I don't know. Do you have a book I can look at? What's that, Nick? Well, just the, the idea that you came to him, right? Like yeah. a book of well, that's, jobs. No, you came to me. So they have, they have performance metrics that they have to meet, you know? benchmarks and standards and such and and when somebody walks into their office it is just like a gift you know yeah for it, sure be, i mean i was young and dumb dude and so like i sat down i looked through the book and like my naive self uh i looked through it and i saw healthcare specialist uh, i'm like oh healthcare spe- i like the sound of this i'm like in my mind i'm already fantasizing about it, what it could be and i'm like ooh, i'll be around nurses right i'll be in hospitals i'll be able you know i can still maintain my path of firefighter i just got to get through my time in the army and uh, uh, so then all of a sudden, I, you know, so I, I enlisted, right? Uh-huh. Shipped off three months later. Where where did you, what, where was your home of record? Uh, home of record is technically near Rockford, Illinois, but I grew up in a town called Pecatonica. Oh, sure. And yeah. if anybody listening to this actually knows where this is at, congratulations, you have no life. Yeah, <laughs> like, so. There's a cornfield there. There's a high school. Well, like as people drive <laughs> past. Wrestling team. If you drive past the exit from Pecatonic, Illinois, you're like, oh, there's a state trooper shop and a, and a farm dealership across the door or across the street. Uh, so that's what that's like. So this what I enlisted my whole thing. But like I thought healthcare specialist. And then I get to basic training. And another guy was like, hey, I'm going to be a combat medic. And I was like, you are an idiot. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to war, right? And so... um uh, I got off the bus with him at AIT, which in the Army is your, your secondary school or A school or whatever. And I looked down the line and I saw him there. And I was like, fuck. And the drill sergeant at the time goes, welcome to combat medic school. And I was like, oh, here we go. But looking back, I'm going to change it. You know, I love my experience. But I'm curious to hear you guys. Is like, you know, what was your motivation to join? Like, none of you were drafted. Let's hear about it. Well, Adam, let me ask you. Are you, uh, is anybody else in your family 
a veteran or serving or do you want to hear about the winner of a lottery ticket because my dad got drafted mm-hmm. he finished high school in 70 got drafted and he went to Fort Polk for his basic training and so like you're shaking your heads no 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 this dude won a lottery and so he got sent to Hawaii mm-hmm. and for his three year enlistment drove a jeep for a general and I don't even know if he ever wore a uniform he wore Hawaiian <laughs> shirts to the airport Get out. to go pick up the VIPs and bring them back and get the general oh my he was like God. whoever that old defensive lineman was for like the LA Rams Joe Green or some shit like that He's like, I got to pick up Joe Green from the airport. And I was like, Dad, I don't want to hear your bullshit. I went to Iraq. Like, like all your buddies went to Vietnam, and you fucking... Still that old man. You malinger. Nobody did Call your father a shitbag. But some people are like, uh, they feel bad about their service and stuff like that. And I'm like, here's the deal, dude. From the day you walked in those doors, you did everything you were told to do. You were on orders. That's the orders this fucking guy got. Could you imagine? Everybody left and right is like, Hey, you're gonna go to Da Nang. You're gonna go to like all these spots in Vietnam, and he got Honolulu, Hawaii. It's wild. You're ridiculous, and there's no way he's running up and down Kali Kali Pass with a goddamn gas mask on. Like no, he was driving he a was Jeep chilling. for a general. He was chilling the whole time. It must so, be a dad thing, because my dad spent four years in the Air Force with the band. Nice. And we used to make fun of him, but now that I'm in the military, I'm like, oh wait, all he did was go to VIP events and play music. Like he had a great military experience. Yeah. And he's got some pretty cool stories about meeting neat people and high ups. Get to be a PFC with 18 years of service. <laughs> and it was special forces. <laughs> they were listed as special forces. I've seen that movie. Under Siege. Under Siege 3, right? <laughs> All right, Nick. So you're going to have to follow up with that, dude. What's your story, Dr. Nick? My, my story, Dr. Nick? Um, mine was really selfish, honestly. Um I needed into nursing school, and the military said, hey, you want a nursing school? We have guaranteed seats, and we'll give you four-year scholarship. And I did not want to be in. I, I tried to turn them down. They got me to come take a PT test. They're like, well, you probably can't pass anyways, so why don't you just come try? Oh, damn. And they they got my they got like my competitive nature, and I showed up. Was that the first two uh, miles you ever ran? <laughs> uh, in a while, yeah. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Uh, but then... I don't know. I don't know what the, the evolution that happened and the change, but more school. More well, yeah, there was more school. Did we talk about the lottery, dude? Nick, tell our tell your story. You won you won the lottery. Like when I met you, if I remember right, the army was like, "Hey, take a break. Go get your yeah. doctorate. We'll pay you really well, really? and then maybe when you're back, we'll either promote you or you're already a captain." Like have dude, an extra leave. Here, take these. They, they, they kept saying it wasn't a break, but it was pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah no, I. I, I got in through an ROTC scholarship, so I had four years of my uh, initial schooling or my bachelor's paid for. I got in nursing school, um, went through that process, and then uh, spent a little time at Madigan, right? Madigan Army Medical Center in Fort Lewis, Washington, which was hometown. So I was in my backyard anyways. Uh, spent some time in Afghanistan, and then when I came back, said, hey, we have this other program that you can do. Go get your doctorate. I'm like, okay. So they sent me to another school, and I went to the University of Wisconsin. That's where I met all you guys, um, living, just doing the school <laughs> thing, right? Um, got my doctorate. Now I'm at, in Texas doing cool stuff, like actually making changes. And I have a job where I set my schedule. And people trust me enough that I can actually like influence the medical care. Um, so it's yeah, I, I think I hit the lottery. Brook Army Medical Center, job. right? Yeah, yeah, I'm at, at Bancy Brook Army Medical Center. 
That's and kind I'm of a, a clinical big deal. nurse specialist. So yeah, you know, uh, we come up with projects across the DOD. Like, but it's important because it's the burn center, right, for the for the army. Yeah. And so like yeah, you get a lot of guys that you know they'll come out of country, they'll go stabilize in land stool. So like, you know, reminder, Adam talking right here. I was a medical when I was in, same as Will. But like we we evac guys, they got out of local trauma one centers. They went up to land stool, got stabilized, and then depending on what was going on, they go back to the states and go to one of the different facilities. So like. You know, Vietnam era, I don't know if they had as much burn stuff, but us with some of the newer stuff that we have going on as far as, uh, you know, protection for individual body armor. Like you guys, maybe tell us just a minute a little bit about what kind of stuff are you guys seeing or what have you seen at BAMC there as a, as a burn center there as a level one trauma facility? Well, it's funny because people focus on the burn center because that's kind of like the, the hot thing. So maybe oh, on the right now, gross. That's terrible. The hot thing. <laughs> oh. The hot thing. Oh. <laughs> oh, disgusting. Shots fired. You're so gross, Nick. You can just take that out. Uh, <laughs> Episodes. No, the, the, Burn center is so, so hot right so, now. Oh, gross. So much, shut up, man. There's so much more Roasting. going on there. Like the trauma um, and just the, the nursing care that we do. Like it's a huge hospital. Don't you have it's the not, saddest job in the world? Aren't you? Like what? which floor are you on? I thought you were doing pediatric oncology. No, no, they, I worked with them for a little bit, but I'm, I'm working with wounds now. So oh, I great. focus on yeah. wounds and pressure injuries. So I actually work in the whole hospital. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, dude, I mean, it's yeah, cool. It's, awesome. it's a good job. And there's a lot of really good people there that are working hard. It's amazing what we can do now in healthcare. And, and BAMPS is kind of where a lot of the cool stuff comes out of. So. Yeah, they set the, they set a lot of standards for the, for the, as you said, the, DOD, the Department of Defense, but just uh, I, I recall you mentioning the AMED, the Army Medical Department, is that's going to go away and transition into a Department of Health thing, or is that uh, is that true? What's it, well, it's up in the air, right? Yeah. Um, DHA, Department of Health Agency, is slowly taking over and and kind of controlling things. Um, so we're we're restructuring, we're restructuring and and looking at how we can give more efficient care, right? That's yeah. what the higher ups are saying. How do we provide the best care at the lowest cost? Well, I'd be interested to talk more about like system stuff, you know, how, how those changes kind of ripple out and affect many, many, many people and many other institutions. But, uh, well, not pulling any punches though. Like hearing you and Nick talk, like it's clear you guys, a lot of your language and stuff is linked up and like, you know, I was a medic, you were a medic as well, but like, it kind of curtails your experience going to medic school and things like that. So maybe like lead us, tell us about how you got there and like why, why you're able to talk to a guy like Nick who's got his doctorate in nursing and you guys are able to communicate as fluidly as you would on the unit. Like take us through that path. I joined the military because I always wanted to. And there was a heavy tradition of service in my family. My mom did a hitch in the national guard. Dad did uh, a four year, term in the army just after vietnam both uncles on his side served my uh my dad's dad was a world war ii vet my mom's dad was a korean vietnam vet he was a career air force guy so it was like i don't know i kind of felt a little like gravity pulling me in that direction and just kind of the i felt like the values that my family had you know uh things like honor and duty and loyalty. Um, those are big things and had me from an early age thinking about thinking about doing some time and maybe making a career out of the military service. Yeah. And then I was sitting in an 11th grade 
civics class on a fateful Tuesday morning in, in 2001. And we had just finished a test. Um, and we got moved, you know, to a different, to a room that had a TV and we watched sort of the ongoing coverage of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, sort of cemented it for me. It was like, oh yeah, definitely. Like it wasn't something I wanted to do That's anymore. It was, yeah, time. it was like, well, you're needed. And it got real in a hurry. For sure. But like, as we look back in time, like I think when we talk to the, the veterans that we have coming to the show, it's like there's certain anchor points in history that are really significant especially related to veteran experience and like, sure. you know, I was sitting on this table, we're all, all post 9-11 vets and whatnot. So like the idea of where were you on 9-11 for us, man, that really means a lot. Like I'm curious to hear some of the stories that come out of veterans. Like where were you when this happened? Right. Like, where were you when this happened? You know, like, and some of it might be the, the idea that like, uh, you know, a little off topic, but man, when I was downrange in 2005, my team, the White Sox, won the World Series. I couldn't see a thing, That's man. funny. So, like, I got mailed shirts and, like, magazines, and I'm like, oh, like, this is awesome you think of me. But at the same time, yeah. screw you guys. Yeah, like, it's yeah. almost rubbing so, like, a little salt in the wound. So, like, for you, the significance of, like, being, being like, you're you're almost there, right? You're almost done with high school. It, the time is coming. You're itching. It's like you've got this family tradition boiling. you got a lot of values to uphold. You know what you want to do. And so then all of a sudden you see this thing, and it's like, it couldn't get any clearer. They couldn't. What happened next? It, it got murkier. I mean, oh, <laughs> let's hear about it. Like, no, I mean, twenty years with twenty years worth of perspective, like I can say that uh, things weren't as clear cut as the eighteen-year-old version of me thought at the time. But it didn't matter because, like I said, it was something I wanted to do, and then it turned into something that needed to happen. But you're eighteen years old. Nobody can tell you anything when you're eighteen years old, right? It's right? yeah. so like for you, like I would, I have to estimate, like everything's piling up in a certain direction. Like, like your life fate is kind of coming. Like now you know yeah, better, but like at the time, like as an eighteen-year-old, will everything's shaping up in a certain way? Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's a process, you know. It's for someone who hasn't gone through it. Like we talk about maps. That's a military entrance processing station. Uh, it's not. You don't like. There are people who have just showing up and like hey i'm ready to ship and they can do that somehow but for yeah. a lot of other people it's like for me i was too fat to uh, they didn't want me thickens great we're we're killing Wait, the puns like so <laughs> it's probably like some i probably think i'm in like the high 170s or mid 180s right now <laughs> i was probably like 60 pounds heavier when i graduated high school uh, and that was just like dedication to Taco Bell and Papa John's. I oh, think, nice, nice. Oh, yeah, very nice. Just, just like, yeah. Well, those are not ad reads, by the way. The, like, <laughs> we don't sorry. have advertisers, right. but like you know, maybe Taco Bell and Papa John's are places you could eat. Yeah, they were. They, yeah, I mean, dude, it's funny you say that. And, like uh, you know, as I've gotten to know you a little bit, we pull through medics and stuff like that. Like when I when I walked into nine eleven, like I had softened a bit from my high school football days. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> and like today, I'm I'm very well softened in my into my life, but like. <laughs> Like the recruiter was like, dude, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> He's like, Here, here's the number you gotta hit before you get to mess. Yeah. And so within six weeks, I hit that number and I was just like, right on. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so you kind of came in, you weren't maybe physically as prepared as you were mentally. Like, what was your process getting ready to even go? I, I mean, I got skinnier. <laughs> dude, like, how did you I do it, man? No, I was no, down in the was so bad. Yeah. Did yeah. I was Richard <laughs> I was, was like, doing, I was running in place. I was doing push-ups. Yeah. Like, I just went to, uh, I went to the YMCA in my town and played noon hoops with a bunch of like professionals and retired guys. And then 
I tried to lift weights, but I was really like, I was a dumb, fat, cocky kid. <laughs> and I just like couldn't do anything right. So it was just like, I don't know. My, my weight loss plan was just like two hours of basketball and only one meal from Taco Bell a day. <laughs> until, yeah, until, you still ride the Taco Bell yeah. train. Well, I mean, it's addictive. <laughs> I, I can't remember the last time I've had Taco Bell. But, uh, so but yeah, I was just. Dude, where'd you do your basic? I went. I did basic at Fort Benning. So how did you go from two hours of old Painfully. old man ba- basketball to Fort? Because yeah. I went to Sand Hill. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't pull any punches, man. You get to thirtieth AG, yeah. your head's oh. gonna be full of blisters just from standing in the sun in between. Thirtieth AG. To go to the chow hall. Thirtieth AG. The added adjutant general, I suppose. It's it's the reception unit there at Fort Benning, yeah. and it was just like. For me, that was that was probably the worst three or four days of my military career. Three or four days, lucky guy. Yeah, right. I was so I was happy there to, for like a week, yeah. like which is not a long time. It's, you can be held in receptor for a while, but it's like, dude, you can echo what it's all you do. And when you get in the in the army, you don't just show up like in stripes, you know. Right. Like they've got this holding cell they're gonna put everybody in for a while. Yeah. And what do you do? You go through, get a haircut, you get your shoes, they measure you out, they put all your shit in a bag, but like. That doesn't take a lot of time. And then you just study that fucking book. What was the that? The IET, the initial oh, the, oh, training oh, handbook, God. the smart book. That's if you gave a shit. But like otherwise, what do you do? You stand in the sun waiting for Chow. Sleep on your feet. I think I like... spent six hours a day waiting for Chow. <laughs> and how much time do you get to eat Chow? Like seven minutes yeah. tops. Like it just seems like they were they were preparing you for the idea of hurry up and wait. Yeah. Which is like the mentality that it goes. But so like, like at Leonard Wood, the defect there was stupid. Like they had like all the desserts and shit. Like they expected you to walk in there and just like pick whatever food you wanted. Then you get to basic. Then you have to like work it all off. So I you have to eat cake. Oh, they had it there. Dude, I didn't eat it. Cake but was they there, had but we were it. not allowed cake. The guys who were allowed cake at Benning were the guys who were OSUT infantry guys. Uh huh. And you'd see them come down the line. And I was like, I just came out of the sandwich line, man. I'm trying to thin out. And then, like, the cake eaters came down the line. You're like, you motherfucker. That's so different. They were allowed cake, right? So, like, even even us, we're not that far apart in our experience. But, like, the drills set the tone. So, like, whatever your guys do, they're going to do. Drill Sergeant Judy and Drill Sergeant Sutton. Drill Sergeant, Senior Drill Sergeant Williams. He was on on leave for the, the bulk of my early part. but Dude, I got a story. So, like. Oh, yes. Our drill sergeants, drill sergeant Taylor, uh, Ganyan, and I forget the other dude's name. Um, but what's funny about drill sergeant Taylor is like, so I went through, I went through basic. This is a, this is a six foot, probably three tall black dude, he was intense guy, right? And he was an infantry guy, so hit. He's trying to train all these different MLSs. He hated his life. So I get out of the military, and uh, in my first marriage, my first honeymoon, we went to Hawaii. Uh, I'm on second and it's working well, so don't don't be bothered. But on my on my <laughs> first honeymoon, <laughs> my first honeymoon, we Dude, if you were only married once. You were in the military. <laughs> yeah, only once in the military. In four years. It's part of the process. Yeah. I never financed the Mustang at twenty percent. So, yeah. so, Miles. so, dude, I get out of the military and I go to Hawaii for my honeymoon, and like I'm at this luau at like Iwa Beach, just west of Pearl Harbor, and I'm like, man, this is fucking rad. I like this whole thing. And they started calling people up on stage, and all of a sudden, this guy. Hey, Anthony Taylor, come on. I'm like, Anthony Taylor, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. And I looked and it was it was my drill sergeant up on stage, like doing a belly dance and stuff like nice. that. I was like, like that this guy is not the guy I imagined him to be, right? <laughs> yeah. And so then I started talking to my wife at the time and started telling all the stories, and I'm just like, I don't think I can go talk to him. Like I could tell him about all my combat experience, and this is the one gentleman on the earth that'll be like, I don't care. Don't care. I don't care. Fucking get on with your life, private. Yeah, no kidding. But it's like then, you're then the other guy, Drill Sergeant Ganyan, his name looked like Gagnon. Mm-hmm. And I remember Taylor one time was messing with one of these dudes in our platoon. And he started to be like, 
tell me all your drill sergeant's name. Uh-huh. And the guy couldn't figure out. He's like, how do you not know it? You're gagging on it. You're gagging on it. You can't even get it out. And he was trying to help the dude out, but it was, and then we're all trying not to fucking bust up laughing right now. I'm like, this dude not only is terrifying, but he has comedic timing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know where the army, there's like a like secret surplus of just really <laughs> funny, like uh, talented athletic dudes. And they just end up in the drill sergeant corps. Dude, I, have, I don't have funny. regrets about my service. Like I'm really appreciative with what I did. I got in and got out in four years and stuff. But I think if I could ever go back and just do drill, I know it's a lot of work. I know it's hard on your families. Like I'm not pulling punches there, but that seems like that would have been a blast. I had an opportunity to to uh, interview for a RSP drill sergeant position in the reserve component, yeah. but it just kind of didn't work out for a number of reasons. But um, one of my favorite drill sergeant memories, I was standing in line at some live fire exercise in, uh, in Fort Benning there, and our drill sergeant from a different platoon, So, uh, but he was like the cut up of the company. He was the funniest yeah. you know, drill sergeant in the company. He... Uh, had swapped out his gear for some other private, so he didn't have any rank or anything. So he just came right up behind me and like shoved me and like clunked his helmet into mine. And I'm just like, we had been out in bivouac, bivouac and been raining on for the last couple of days. I'm <laughs> holding a loaded rifle on. He turns around, or I turn around. I'm just like looking at him and I kind of like realize what's going on. Like I see that this is clearly the drill sergeant. And he's wearing some private's gear and he's just like messing with me. And I'm just like standing there looking at him. He's standing there looking at me. I'm standing there looking at him, and he's just like, "You're about to blow up, aren't you, Private?" And I'm just kind of like shrug, like, "No, <laughs> like, 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 I'm just, you know, just like taking my licks, you know." But he would, uh, he would wax philosophical about how we would do way better on our end of cycle testing if he was standing there with a syringe full of AIDS. <laughs> and he's like, "Jab us, we don't get the right." Jesus. He's like, "I bet you do. I bet you know the answer right. A syringe full of AIDS, wouldn't you, Private?" I'm like. That doesn't make any sense, Drill Sergeant, but maybe. <laughs> and here's the answer you were looking for anyway. You know, you the, guy who, the guy who wants to articulate your thoughts to that guy, right? <laughs> just oh, shut up. <laughs> just getting made fun of. He's like, you're going to blow up, Private? I'm like, not unless you tell me to, Drill Sergeant. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, Where's your Sunday? So to close out, like, maybe the Benning stuff and, and, and move on to Karen and hear her story. But, like, dude, I had this one guy, and uh, he'll probably listen to this podcast. He's, we're, we're friends again and stuff like that. We caught up a little bit. But he had one time where, like, clearly you don't just uh, when you're out when you're out in the woods and betting, you don't just piss wherever you want. Like if you're on a road march and stuff like that, and and the way he thought he would be appealed to be allowed to go take a piss when he wanted to while we're, we're on a nice force truck, he goes, "Drill sergeant, permission to assault the wood line." Oh wow! Okay. And the the drill was just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, fucking go <laughs> go take a piss, private. Like, dude, what are you, you do doing? Know. Like, assault the wood line? Like, just go fucking take a piss. In it, <coughs> I don't know. Just boot things, right? One thing I want to—I'd like to return to before we hear from Karen—is uh, a little bit about the more about the accession process to join the service. I mean, a lot of people might not realize that you have to take an entrance test, uh, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, the ASVAB. So you take that bad boy, and then your score falls into tiers. And those tears, like in the tear, like if you do poorly, you yeah, cry. Exactly. Tears. No, more tears, more tears for the lower tears. But there's a uh, they're tiered one through five, and um, if you score in that fifth sort of division, you might not have a spot in the service. You might. How many be... of those conscriptees were forced to get as bad? So this, so uh, 
during the surge, so uh, in like 2006 to 2008, around that time. No, like the draft in yeah, Vietnam. Like yeah, that. yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm okay. be interested to learn about that. But what they did uh, during the surge is they dropped their their rates for like so the, the number of tier five applicants that can be pulled on into the service is limited because they they've scored the you know they're the lowest performers on this test uh but they they change those numbers as their need changes so the the incoming recruits the shape of that cohort changes too dude i think you're doing it wrong like i don't think you keep the dumb people out and i'm not joking uh, fucking around with dumb people low scores but like the the more people are probably getting it the more they're going to question why they're doing what they're doing why wouldn't you instead just adjust it a bit and say yeah we'll take the people that are lower but you smart guys Go down the hall. Like, go talk to the Navy or something. Send them to the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> for all the smart people. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like you have you have room for all those people in different jobs, though. Totally. But, like, that that wave, it was just like, uh, can you breathe and but it's, ambulate? Yeah, it's crazy Come on. how they adjust the scores <laughs> to, like, let people in and, like, how that looks. You know? Needs of the Army. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need bodies, right? You need bodies when you need bodies. But I think looking at future conflicts that we had to adjust. Like, we have to... We're throwing words like talent management out there. The Army's mission is like under its recruiting goals again for I don't know how many months in a row. This is like 22 months or something like that. Where they, yeah. But the thing is, like, what what I would like for people who are listening to this podcast to come away with is a better understanding of why people go in the service. Oh, like, totally. I think that the dude who wants to be the PX Ranger and maybe wants to have like a big social media presence that like advertises how hua how dangerous you know the max lethality type dudes like i think they're pretty few and far between i think people go into the service to make their lives better and to make other people's lives better and that generally speaking that's not a widely held view you know what i mean well that's like that's that's i think that's what we're trying to do is is educate and break down some of these understandings and like look at the difference like you said in a in a, uh, a volunteer professional force and like a conscripted service you know yeah. it's like it's it's different we're getting different organizations to run. And so, like, I think as we talk to people, I'm curious what their experience was. Because, like, my experience coming in all-volunteer in a wartime period was, like, I was given all the cool shit. I got to come in and be the be the fun guy. Yeah. And then I got out before I got too yeah. serious, you know? So, yeah. like, me looking back at my service, like, there was a bunch of shitty stuff. But good night. That was fun, man. Like, to have all that fun stuff given to you and have nice, nice rifles and, like, as a medic, like, did I need an M9 on my hip and also have an M4 with an ACOG scope with, with infrared <laughs> yeah. and a surefire flashlight? Like, I was sure. better equipped than some of my company guys could get from their armor because I got, I was equipped through headquarters, right? Yeah. It's like I, I had everything all the scout platoons and water platoons had. Like, as a medic, like, like it paid off in the end because, like, I was as active as them. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's just the nature of asymmetrical warfare at that point. Yeah. But, like, you look back at Vietnam and it's just like, such a next man up culture and like i want to hear about that like i want us to be able to talk about the differences in our experiences mm -hmm. and so like even you and i we've talked about the differences maybe a year or two apart going through fort benning right sure. so like even dr nick's experience like uh is an army nurse as it continues to evolve and grow into whatever it's going to be like good or bad you know we'll, we'll be able to chat about that but like seeing where this is all going and how it matches up and compares over time and I think ultimately what we come back to is the idea that like 
there's a there's a few things that we we're together on. It's like we're we're serving other people. <clears throat> At some point, that selflessness kicks in, and so like, you know, Karen, you're talking about going to Fort Leonard Wood. I've heard it called Lost in the Woods, and I'm lost in the woods. The idea. The only thing I knew that know that's happening over there is people get cold in the winter, and I think that's where the drill instructor course is. So like, or drill sergeant courses. So like, guys that go there get to do that. So like, what's your experience with Leonard Wood, etc.? Like, tell us your story. Uh, Leonard Wood had a shit ton of ticks. We would do land nav, and we would come back, and every nook and crevice in your ACUs, there was about ten ticks so, sitting. What's in an there. ACU? So Fort Benning had chiggers, right? Yes, chiggers. So like, yeah. chiggers, you, just, you, you lube your skin up with whatever cancerous causing thing you're going to do to keep away. Did you guys get the same stuff? No, but I was at Benning too. I was there from 05 to 09, but I was not in basic. I was an MP. I was super fucking hua. Uh, on a farm somewhere. In oh, yeah, Wisconsin. yeah, yeah. I grew up on a dairy farm. I was super fucking hua. Like, I saw those commercials, and I just... Bit that and ran with it. I was the like, army of one. You're like, I'm uh, gonna be that. Uh, I was like, I'm gonna be that guy jumping out of an airplane and doing all that cool shit. So then I spent like my my summers and shit like working out in the woods with logs and like. What are you, all, Rambo? Uh, this, yeah, is like ru- yes. this is like the Russian fight scene where like you're beating up frozen meat. Yes, and stuff. yes, <laughs> Just like as ridiculous Drago! as you can picture it. Like I had a heavy bag that I made out of. Uh, a like cow, a cow's like, like, <laughs> yeah, the four stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Uh, I I got to the point. I shaved my head. I GI Jane oh it. Shaved my head. Wow. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. need a mentor. Yeah. You need a mentor back. <laughs> what was your childhood? Like? <laughs> so so I shaved my head, and then I remember I went back to school. My friend shaved my head, and it was hilarious. Like we were laughing so hard about it. And then I went back to school, and then a bunch of the kids thought I had cancer because I didn't have hair anymore. <laughs> so then so then there were all these rumors that I was like dying and shit and all this oh stuff, goodness. but then my hair grew back, so then everybody realized I wasn't. Um, but so I ended up graduating um, six months early from high school to go into the military. I wanted to do the coolest stuff that I saw in the commercials, which was like infantry. I was like, obviously that's what I need to do. So I talked to the recruiter and the recruiter was like, uh, yeah, you can't do that because you're a woman. And they like, probably said MPs are basically infantry. That's exactly oh, what they said. They're like, I got something better for you. You can be an MP. And I was like, oh, okay. What's well, MP stand for? Military policeman. And what a what a military what, police person? Yes, police person. <laughs> and what do they do? Uh, so they're like... I, they might be the most hated MOS. Da, 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 da. You're like a cops, right? Yeah, you're totally a cop, but you might be the most hated job because the perception is, right, that the military policemen mm-hmm. sit on the bases uh, stateside and they just run around and write people tickets and Wait, harass. Wait, that's not, that's not how it works? Well, hang on a minute. We're okay. getting there. All right. And just I'll, harass people. Kind of right? a good job, right? <laughs> so I was like, but... Some some people are just all garrison MPs. So that's a garrison MP. Right? Oh, you're just a field like, military police? I was a mix. Okay. So it's a, a hybrid mutt. of yeah. sorts. Yeah, mutt hybrid, whatever. So we did like rotations. Mm-hmm. Like we would do, so we did the garrison policing stuff for, I don't know, like a year or less. And then we train up for a deployment and we would deploy to Iraq. And then uh, we did combat missions in Iraq. So... You could also be the jerk military policeman that was policing the fobs in Iraq, the forward oh. operating bases. I did not do that, so don't hate me. But if you did, you were bad at it. 
<laughs> anytime we got blown up and our tires were down and we didn't have enough tires, we may or may not have tactically acquired tires on the fob that night, oh. which was fucking hilarious. You know, could have been hilarious. Listen, not my job. Yeah. yeah but if it was, you were bad at it. Yeah. I didn't do it. I did not do it. I feel like those were the most hated people on the FOBs because, like, how bad is it for you to be deployed and get a speeding ticket while you. you're deployed? Makes no sense. I need so you to you basic- apologize on behalf of all police, <laughs> like, for everything, for being police. For all law enforcement. <laughs> we're just, like, as our... Where's your basic training at? Uh, Fort Leonardwood. So you did Leonardwood. Where, yeah. Where's individual training uh, Leonard Wood. It's the same place. It was, yeah, well, it was we went the... went to OSA, too? Yeah, yeah. So it was the One station per. unit training. Yep. So uh, it was a lot of time soup. there. Yeah. And, and this for, was when my, uh... Head was shaved? No, no, no. It was, it was back a little bit, okay. right? So I went through this really cool transition period of having, like, this awkward haircut. Bangs? We, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would just <laughs> Army cut the... Bangs. Yeah, I would just cut the bottom, because <laughs> it was, like, slowly bangs. growing in. It was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible look. So like if you had to rate yourself on a zero to ten scale, when I was in the army, like I went to basic training, I was like a four. I got out of the basic training, I was about a never, five. Never been anything lower than a nine. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna hear a little about Will's self confidence. <laughs> I got to my unit, and after a couple of years of my unit, I went up to honestly, I was I was an honest to goodness seven. I thought I was like, man, well, I'm, I'm looking good, yeah, pretty fit. But I was out in Southern California, so there were a bunch of good-looking Very people cool. around me. I peaked at a seven. Today, probably a three at best. Like, what's your progression as far as, like, how how do I look here? What's going on? Let's hear about the, the zero to ten scale. This is just physical appearance? And emotional feelings about your physical appearance? I mean, I, mean, I feel like when I was getting out of basic training, I was feeling pretty good. Yeah. Like, that, yeah, definitely. So, what uh, number? Uh, I don't know. My hair was still pretty jacked up. So, we're going to go with uh, five. Oh, solid, solid. In between, halfway there. Yep, I was doing good. So then I got to my unit and then um, partied a little bit. And (laughs) And the PT score went down or? Uh, Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And then all of a sudden I like everything. I don't know. I just kicked into gear again. All of a sudden it was just like laser focused. I'm going to PT the hell out of myself. Like worked out hardcore. I had... I had a way over, th- I don't even know how high of a PT score I got at one point. It was ridiculous. Um, then I was, I'd, <coughs> I'd give myself like a seven or an eight at that point. At that point. Mm-hmm. And so, well, no, I like nine, nine's the whole way. I, I just, <clears throat> it would just be me. like, does not compute. You know what I mean? Like fails to read. 404 like, error, yeah, body not, not found. found. Not found. Just not. It is not possible to be attracted to this person. So outside of shaming yourself uncontrollably right now, <laughs> where where are we at? Basic training you versus permanent party you. So oh wow, geez. Um, Did you get uglier or get hotter? I definitely stayed mediocre, aggressively mediocre. That's that's not the best story I've heard. Well, ever. Uh, I don't know. I mean, come on, give us something. I got. So I lost a whole bunch of weight just to ship to basic training, but then they're like, you're good. So I gained some of it back and then I shipped to basic training and then I lost it again. Um, and I don't know. It was just kind of, it took me a couple years of being on active duty to figure out nutrition and, uh, and exercise. And once I did figure it out, it just kind of became like a routine maintenance thing that I started to enjoy after time. Um, but I never like, 
I don't know. I want numbers. Really... I want numbers. Yeah. So sixes all the way through. Just steady sixes. I call bullshit. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Same. Because mm-hmm. right now, to me, you're a warm cup of coffee, man. You're... What does that mean? You're a warm cup of coffee. I'm a warm what cup number of is coffee. that? I don't know. Seven? Oh, I keep really seven. Nice. In, in, in was, the area uh, we live in, in you, know, you got a nice sweater on. You, you know, I don't normally uh, take in dudes. Should we leave you guys forever? alone? I know. I'm like, well, I don't know. This is getting. But I'm saying, like, like Music? I think you're underrating <laughs> yourself. I don't. Karen even agrees. This is fair. Karen agrees. Hello, Karen. So you're a, you think you think you're a six? You're probably a seven. I don't like. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Did you ever max your PT test or anything? I got a 297 and a 298. That's the peak, right? Yeah, it's so frustrating. Karen, what was your peak? Like 400. Yeah, something. like 350, 60. You want extended scale? Oh, fuck yeah, I Are did. we talking weights? It was Are we so talking bad. PT score. Wait, what? PT score. No, PT 300 score. PT score is max. Oh, no, no you but, can go higher. Yeah. On extended scale? Yes. So you're mad that you were extended scale? No. Very proud of that fact. Dude, in my unit. It was unit, ridiculous, though. So I was, a, you know, I ran for you to know. I was a 300 guy. And you would get AAMs if you went 300 yeah. greater. It was just like, no, I'm I, sorry, what? You're like the knight in shining armor amongst all the cavalry guys. You would get an army achievement medal. I've gotten Shut AAMs for PT tests. Yeah. And so, like, now let's shift our focus to Dr. Nick to hear about Dr. Nick's self rating scale. How hot were you, Nick? Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick went to college in like a traditional setting. So I would. Is that I'd why you have so many kids, right? Nick? <laughs> Looking back, I think I was a seven. At the time, I was probably think I was a five. I want to know about Karen though. Karen, did you when you were in high school? Did you have a like an army duffel bag? Did no. You were, like super proud of? <laughs> no. <laughs> you laughed though. Is it? At any point, you never got a duffel bag. I did not get a duffel bag. No. I did. I, I had I had camel pants. I bought camel pants. Yeah. I don't know why the duffel bag was like a, a symbol of military service. Like, did you have one of those? Is that no, what you're saying? I was of my friends that did, though. <gasps> I hate all that swag. It's like so ridiculous. I hate seeing it. I don't know. But I, at the same time, I keep like I've been out. Geez, for my last anything related to do with the military it was 2011. So it's been nine years. But I keep a bag packed. But I get I don't know. I hate the promotional materials and stuff. So you got a go bag. I, I have a go bag. Yeah, yeah. One of those things like. There are certain things about us, I think, that like it never leaves you. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, it's. Uh, I think Will, you said like your emerging adulthood or like your formative you know, years, your formative yeah. years, right? Like eighteen to twenty-three, as I've learned later in school, things those are really impressionable times, and like these value systems that were put on us by whatever branch you served in, uh, the things that you learn, the the time you've spent on range or otherwise, like that's the stuff that I want to crack into, like. You know, you are what you are today, but, but like before that, what was your value system? When you were in it, what was it? And how does it translate out your regular life? Sure. You know, like how does this whole thing play out? All of us have got different things that we're doing now today mm-hmm. as far as how we're growing up. You know, Dr. Nick's still in. He's still fucking grinding the grind, right? We love him for it. He's willing to go walk when we don't want to. Like he will be PT when we're not, like this body doesn't run. Like I joke around and say, these colors don't run. I mean, his body doesn't run anymore. <laughs> But like all these things that we're doing, I'm curious to hear all these stories, you know, like I can't, we can't get there fast enough. I can't wait to sit folks down and, and have a chat. And I think that like, we want to sit folks down and chat. We want to go to their homes and talk and like, we want to find any way we can to connect. I think that's like the idea of fight or die is that like, you've got options in combat. You can run, you can fight, or you can die. 
and it's clear we're not going to run. You're going to fight, you're going to die. And those are your options, and you're going to fight until you die. And I think the, the thing that we're talking about is we want to hear people and how they've stayed in the fight for their entire lives. How? Why are you still in the fight? Why are you still keeping up? You know, like you look at these statistics that we lose 20 veterans a day. That sucks. I want to help work on that. Why are you still in the game? Why are you still fighting? That's the stories I want to hear. Um, you know, I'm curious to hear from you guys. Like, what else? Like, what what else are we looking at as far as what we're trying to curate here? I like the idea that the human experience, right? I think that um, while we were in, maybe we had a stigma, a thought process of what we were supposed to be like. And as mm. we've matured and evolved a little bit, um, we realize that we're all just people, yeah. right? We're all just people that came from different backgrounds. And once you kind of get over that, what you should be, you kind of start to open up to what people experience, right? Like the farm girl or the guy that watched 9-11 happen and decided he needed to do something, right? We all had our own personal stories, but then we had that shared human experience while we were in the service. Yeah, I love that. You know, you say something like, um, you know, Will alluded earlier to kind of the career that I have now. I'm a mental health counselor for veterans at the VA hospital. Um, one of the things that I try to talk about is the idea that, that whatever you've got going on in your life is real to you. And whatever that means for you, it's significant. And so, like, there'll be a lot of guys that will say, oh, I, I wasn't a forward infantry guy. And, and when we start to talk about the story, their base got bombed every day. You know, they weren't sure if they were going to have rations. They were shitting on the side of a hill, which I love a good shit story. Like, Everybody's I love gotta, a good poop yeah, story. Everybody's got a poop story. But, like, story. you start to hear, like, <clears throat> all these sacrifices that you have to make just to do the most average service. Like, you hear these stories on and on and on and on. You talk about the idea of... Um, Adam, I think that, like, have you... You've heard of the book On Killing, right, by yeah. uh, David Grossman? Yep. So he... I really like the take that he offers because, you know, as we know, you go through programmed experiences that are designed to elicit very particular responses and basic training is 10 weeks of an immer of immersion programming. And a lot of that is is designed to overcome your reluctance to kill your fellow human being. But looking at your experience, being able to intellectualize that and mm -hmm. understand it mm -hmm. for what it is, not everybody gets there. Right. And so, like, folks come home, they readjust, they have their life. They might not have reconciled that yet. Right. And, and I think part of what we want to do is, like, we know we're not doing therapy. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is give you the chance to reconcile some of the shit before you go meet your maker, before you get to the next step. Like, because what's going to happen is somebody's going to come in and share their experience. And we're going to say, yeah, brother, yeah, sister, like, we get it, man. We were there, too. And, like, I can only imagine if I was in your shoes, I'd feel the same way. And so for you, what you're going through makes perfect sense. And we're here for you. Right. Right. Always, always keeping in mind that we did all bring different backgrounds and different value systems to the thing that we now share. So I think that uh, the variation there and being competent and humble about all those things. Yeah, humility this, goes, goes leaps and bounds, you know. And I think that as we do this podcast to hear, you know, I think that I was humbled when I got out of the military that, that I went through about two to three years to where things weren't going well before I finally decided, let's go talk to somebody, right? And so, like, 
whether you did or didn't, or maybe maybe tomorrow's the first day somebody finally went in, like, what was that like? You know, like, yeah. when did you find it? Yeah. When did it work for you? Like, how's this playing out? Well, we gotta we gotta do some work to keep those folks honest too. <clears throat> like, it's weird. I'm sure it's kind of for all of us, you know, to differing degrees, a little weird because uh, in your position as an employee of the VA, Adam, and also. You know, I'm not sure about your enrollment status, your benefits, disabilities, that sort of thing, but you're going to be a client too, right? Like that's totally. reasonable to expect. So that puts you like in an awkward position, right? But I think, I think what we need to do as part of this is like speak some truth to power too, because these things are supposed to be backing us up. And they're supposed to be grabbing our brothers and sisters who are struggling and providing them the services they earn when they need them. And I don't think they're doing that good a job. So we're part of... Part of what I'm doing here is helping to fill those gaps. I feel like a, a, a space where you can talk about those stories and not feel like there's a big risk of judgment. Like, and I know that's kind of the trend now, right? Like no judgment spaces and we're all, everybody's kumbaya to everybody, right? But like, I feel like as a veteran, you have done and seen things that only fellow veterans can really identify with and not pass judgment. I think we have something here. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a good thing. The last question I have for the group is, do any of you have the coronavirus? <laughs> Boy, I hope not. I, have, I was Not yet, man. <clears throat> I, went, I was fighting something off this weekend, but it, it might have been like, truthfully... Uh, is it Taco Bell? Uh, I wish. <laughs> Dude, I think I have the corona. You hear me? I'm talking. To Dude, I've had... I got both... In, I got influenza B, then A. We're I all going to get I corona. got the alphabet. I am patient zero. Like, <laughs> like this is episode zero, but I am patient zero. Immunity, man. Go go get a bunch of corona, drink it, you'll be fine. See, that's coming from Dr. Neck. It's got a mm-hmm. gospel, right? Legit. Nurses Legit. call the shots. That's all the science behind it. Yeah, nurses do run everything, by the way. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do. All right, here's, here's the deal. We're gonna wrap it up today. This is episode zero. We're we're finding our way. We we got an awesome focus. We got awesome people on board. The next step is you as a listener. You know, let us know what you like. Let us know if you've got somebody out there that you think that they got a story to tell. If they're close to us, we'll bring them in. We'll bring them in for a show. If they're too far away, we'll either do like we do with Doctor Nick. We'll Skype you in, or we'll, we'll raise money. We'll fly you in. We'll put you up in a hotel. We don't have the money yet, but we'll find it. You give bring us these people. We'll make this stuff work. You know, we want to bring all your stories to the public. We want to let it be told. Don't hold back. This is awesome, and I look forward to it. I I really, really hope that we can get veterans from, like, different generations and experiences. and Because and, even even if, like, you just won the lottery and, and we're, we're banned the whole time you're in the Army, like, there's still cool stories to yeah, be told. Sure. So I just hope that, like, we can get people on here and talk about those things and have good discussions. Like, even the band thing, like, you think about that, like, you know, I think there's a tendency to think, oh, you're playing all the pomp and circumstance. Well, who the hell's blowing taps at these funerals, man? That's the band. Sure. And, like, I've done a little bit of, you know, not to diverge into some of your story, but, like, you know, I've done some honor guard, and it was one of the more humbling things before I deployed. On behalf of a grateful nation, I had oh, a buddy God. doing funeral detail, and I was like, yeah, I can't imagine. And that's, and we're, we had our, our Warnell packet, you know, our, our orders for our upcoming combat deployment, and they're going around. On behalf of a grateful nation, I just cannot. Yeah, it's too real. It's awful. But you know, to your to your point about what we're doing here, it's like let's identify and scale these good ideas. Let's get let's get people talking about stuff that's helped them. Let's enculturate uh, that vulnerability is part of bravery. And then locally speaking, like 
if you're a veteran, if you're a public servant, if you're a part of an agency that serves those populations here in the Madison, Wisconsin area, like reach out. We're we're really sincerely building a community trying to tie people in. So cool. Dr. Nick. From Texas. Just, I'm excited, man. If this is a rough draft, we're on a good start. And and I think that we all believe in what we're doing. So I, I look forward to what this is going to grow into. Awesome. Dude, I, I appreciate all you guys coming together on this. You know, it started as a, a wild hair idea. It's grown into the idea that now we've got a bunch of, you know, equipment hanging out in my basement. And, like, we're doing this and it's going to grow and grow. But, you know, as a final parting shot is that uh, for all you guys out there, talk to us we want to hear your story you know we want to bring you in we want to create something we want to what what i worry about is that you don't think your story is valid you don't think it's good it is people need to hear it people want to connect with you and all those folks that have sat on the sidelines for years they're waiting for a chance to come back and they want to let you know how much they appreciate what you've done they want to let you know how they feel about the hard work that you've done and you know, I think that it's it's our turn to go ahead and turn on the mics and get people in the studio and go from there. Let's do it. Fight or die. Great. Fight or die. <laughs>